0: You're listening to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. If you're looking for some encouragement, words of hope, and maybe a laugh or two, that's exactly what Richard wants to share with you today. We know life can get pretty busy and complicated, so we're truly grateful you've chosen to take a break and listen to the program. Now, if you're not able to hang out with us for the entire program, you can always pick it back up at our website, richardellistalks.com. In fact, you can find all of Richard's talks right there waiting just for you, richardellistalks.com. So, with today's talk,
1: here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is The Messiah in A Minor. So, composed in 1741 by George Friedrich Handel, the Messiah, Handel's Messiah. How many of you have ever heard this? There's actually a COVID rendition of it. Totally, virtually the orchestra, the singers, everybody in a different spot, and it recently happened. The scriptural text was compiled by Charles Jennings from the King James Bible, from the Coverdale Psalter, the version of the Psalms included with the Book of Common Prayer, and it was first performed in Dublin on April 13th, 1742. So there's three parts to Handel's Messiah. The first part, prophecies by Isaiah and others, and then moves to the Annunciation to the Shepherds. Part two is the Passion, in other words, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and ends with the Hallelujah Chorus. And if you've ever heard the Hallelujah Chorus, you know you've heard that. And then part three, the Resurrection of the Dead and Christ's glorification in Heaven. So that's, it's about a two and a half hour performance if you've ever seen it. The music for Messiah was compiled in 24 days. So 24 days straight. Handle crank this thing out, which is just truly extraordinary to think that it could happen in that period of time. Now, some of the songs you may recognize from part one, scene three, for instance, there's Behold a Virgin Shall Conceive. It starts talking about Jesus being born of this virgin, and then For Unto Us a Child is Born, pretty familiar song, and then Glory to God in the Highest. The opening symphony was actually composed in E minor, for strings, but it was essential for us to have the Messiah in A minor to accomplish what he came to do. Now you say, well, what do you mean by that? Jesus was born of a virgin, lives the sinless life, dies on the cross, but he comes as a newborn. He comes as a child. He comes as a minor. What is the purpose of that? I'd like you to read with me Isaiah 7. We're going to kind of left to right. We'll jump around just a little bit. But Isaiah 7, verse 14, very familiar people talking about Christmas. And this is prophesying who was coming and how he would come. Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. So this is going to be your sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Now those three things, Just a virgin conceiving is impossible, and therefore the son is impossible, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So what do they know? They know that Jesus, the Messiah, Emmanuel, as he's described here, they know he's not just going to show up. And I'll read you some verses about this in a minute. He is literally going to be born, okay? So you say, well, what difference does it make if he just showed up or he's born? We'll get to that in a minute. Isaiah 9, 6. Go over a few pages to Isaiah 9, 6, and now it's not just prophesying, it's saying it as though it had already happened. Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. So a child is going to be born, a son, he's going to be a son even though the sex of the Messiah, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." So not just the prophesying that Jesus would come, the Messiah would come, but how he would come, he would be born. Now you say, well duh, of course he was born, that's the story. didn't have to be that way unless it did have to be that way. Now Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2 verse 1, and this jumps in after he was born, then we'll go before a little bit. Matthew chapter 2 verse 1, now after Jesus was born, And I know I keep saying this, but this is in here for a reason. Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. By the way, just a little trivia here. Nowhere does it say there were three wise men. You say, "But it's gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Four or five guys could have brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? You say, well, that's going to ruin my postcard or whatever. So, wise men, plural, came from the east, and that's what they brought. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him, and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So now he's looking for a newborn kid. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it was written by the prophet. And where was this written? Back in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So they knew where the Messiah would come from. And without getting into all of this, back in Matthew 5, 2, it's described as Bethlehem Ephratah, which is about a mile east of Bethlehem, and it's where the tower, yeah, it's hard not to just get into this if you get into it, but there were towers out there that you could see the sheep from. But there were more towers than normal because out there in this right outside of Bethlehem was where David had set up the sacrificial lambs. So all the sheep that came out of this, that went to the temple in Jerusalem not too far from Bethlehem, had to be perfect, spotless, without blemish. They couldn't have a broken limb. They couldn't have anything. So just to kind of connect these dots, the shepherds in this area some of these shepherds, their responsibility was to care for these lambs, these sacrificial lambs. And so when the angels declare to them, announce, that is born to you in Bethlehem a Savior, and the description is you'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, laying in a manger, that's where they put the lambs. They would lay these lambs in these little carved-out manger stones, and they would wrap these lambs up, in swaddling cloths, once they had inspected them in that manger and made sure they were good to go, they would wrap them up, and literally the priest would carry that lamb to Jerusalem to make sure it didn't get out of its hands and fall and break something, because you couldn't take anything but a perfect lamb. So these shepherds know about these lambs. This whole area is about that, and now they're told that you'll find him lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling cloths. In other words, this is the one. Go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth, So yes, he does live in Nazareth, but he's not from Nazareth. He's from Bethlehem in Judea. So that's where the census takes him. He's engaged, Mary goes with him. Mary is pregnant, ripe pregnant basically. And to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David's to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And by the way, thank God there was no room for them in the inn, because the picture of this, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, laying in the manger where these lambs would lay, and being wrapped up in the way they were wrapped up, and that picture for the shepherds to see and for us to read about is astonishing. Now they're in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And when you hear those words, Christ the Lord, Yeshua, it's Him. It's the Messiah. He's here. He's on the planet. And this will be the sign to you. And this is the kind of stuff that got the shepherds, I'm sure. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lining a manger. And they knew exactly where that would be. You say, well, how did they find it? They knew exactly where to go look for it because they knew where these lambs were laid. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace toward men will toward men. So it was, when the angel had gone away from heaven, from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. And that, by the way, should be how our lives are lived, that we should go back to our lives glorifying and praising God for the things that we have heard and that we have seen as it was told us. Go to Acts chapter 1 and verse 9. Now, this is after Jesus dies on the cross, after he's buried, after he's raised from the dead. Now he's going to ascend into heaven. Verse nine. Now, when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. So Jesus is standing there with them and all of a sudden he ascends. Just kind of, he doesn't get beamed up. He just starts going, just starts ascending, going up taking on gravity, whatever you're going to take on, and he disappears out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So what does that tell you? If he can be alive and ascend into heaven, and then come back the same way. What in the world do we need a virgin birth for? You know, 30 years of who knows what he's doing. We get some little glimpse of that. At 12, he's in the temple, and I get all that. But why would you come to earth and spend 30 years, and then your ministry start at 30, and you do what you're going to do for three years, then you get crucified, buried, raised from the dead. Why don't you just show up at 30? Let's just bring him in at 30. The Messiah is here and put him on a donkey, whatever you want to put him on, ride him into town, let his ministry start, do his three years, do his three days, ascend into heaven, know that he's coming back the same way. Who's going to question that? Why is it so important that he comes as a child, born man, God, God, man, and not just show up? Keep reading with me. Go to Galatians chapter four. So clearly, it is extremely important that Jesus comes and is born, interestingly enough, not the way Adam came or Eve came, because neither Adam nor Eve were born. Adam is created from the dust of the earth. God forms him, breathes life into him, and he's a living being. He's alive. And then he creates Eve from... Uh, Adam, and it's still astonishing to me, I mean, I thought what he did the first time was cool, but wow, look what he did with the ribs, just extraordinary. So second time, sometimes you get it really right. So he makes them, but then he tells them to be fruitful and multiply, and here come the people, being conceived and born, conceived and born. So that's how all of mankind that's here is here. Then Jesus decides to come the same way we come. Now look at Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So everyone born under the law is stuck under the law. So you have to have a lamb slain before the foundation of the world come and be born like we are born, live a sinless life, and now it's not a lamb, a little animal, a sheep that is being sacrificed, it's literally a person that is a part of the persons that are under the law. And so he has to be born of a woman under the law to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. There's no way to get it done what he came to get done without being born of a virgin. That makes him the son of God, which makes him the lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world. And now he can die the perfect sacrifice to redeem us from the law and do what? Get us into his family, receive the adoption as sons, as daughters. So now we can be in his family because he did this. Hebrews chapter 10, 10 verse 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Ultimately, they could not do it. Now, because of the efficacy, the effectiveness of his blood, I had a conversation with a young lady after church and after our gathering here, and she was very concerned that somehow if she knocked on the door or she wasn't saved she didn't know if her sins were really forgiven she didn't know if she was God's child just a lot of doubt and fear so let me go over this just one more time if you're in the room or you're listening beyond here and there has been a time a day in your life where you know for a fact you said it's not God I just believe that you exist Because the Bible says the demons in hell believe in God and tremble at his name. So you believe there's a God, that's not what I'm talking about. As many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, the children of God. So if there's been a point in your life where you understood, you said, God, I cannot save myself. I cannot get myself into heaven. I cannot be good enough I don't deserve any of this. I understand it's a gift and that Jesus died on the cross, was buried and raised from the dead to pay for my sin, shed his blood to pay for me and my sin. And I accept that payment. I ask you to come live in me, through me, change me, save me. The moment you receive him and receive that, you are saved. You are a Christian. You are a believer, not just in the existence of God, but that he has come to live in you. At some point in your life, if you have done that, you have to settle that. You have to believe that that's true, and you can't let the enemy yank your chain every time you go back and screw up. Because Jesus sympathizes with us. He understands that people are tempted and fall. To fall, you cannot fall so far that you fall out of the family. You cannot fall out of his hand. No one can snatch us out of his hand. You say, well, then I could go live like hell. Yeah, a lot of people do. But if you're truly a believer, either you will die that way or he will bring you back around with some discipline. And we've heard stories already in here today of a young man, mom talking about he came back around. So some of you don't need to get re-saved because that's not possible. You need to get re-engaged with the God who loves you and that already lives in you and just needs you to say, I'm wrong. You're right. Let's pick up where we left off. I confess my sins. And whatever he brings to your mind to confess, then move forward. Now you say, well, you know, why do you talk about these things? Because I'm an expert. If someone had just helped me after six years of age to be assured of my salvation, I could have moved forward. But I stayed in this hamster loop of doubt, not understanding that he loved me. And that's why he came and to give me the assurance of my salvation. So if you need somebody to nail that down with, do that, pray it, and then put it to bed. Just say, I'm done with this. I'm not going back and exhuming this again. I'm going to move forward. You either are his child or you're not, and if you are, then live the life and get on with it. Go to 1 John chapter 4. This is not, what I'm about to read you is not a technicality of some kind. This is spiritual and biblical truth. 1 John chapter 4 verse 1 and this is written to Christians Beloved do not believe every spirit but test the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets have gone out into the world So you say well some guy comes along preaching Jesus or some you know some skewed version of that I had a lady I don't know if she's in the room today she moved to Texas from out of state been listening on the radio there somewhere, and came and is living with her daughter now, and she came to see me. And I told her at the end of our over-an-hour conversation, I said, I wasn't sure about you when I sat down with you. She kind of looked at me. I said, I don't know who you are. I don't know where you're coming from. And one of the things I asked her in that conversation, there's another verse about this, all I asked her was, who is Lord? And she looked at me, and I waited. He said, well, what do you mean, Who is Lord? No one can say that Jesus Christ is Lord but by the Spirit of God. And I've tested people on this, and I know people who cannot speak those words, especially if there's demonic involvement. Do you know why they cannot say Jesus Christ is Lord or Jesus is Lord? Because Jesus is not Lord to them. In these verses, you don't believe every spirit. Why? Verse 2, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So when was this written? A couple thousand years ago. He was already in the world then. He's in the world now. So he is going around and getting people to believe that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, did not come in the flesh because it is so huge a fact that he did. So no one can say that Jesus is Lord. There's one thing. And they will never be able to say every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. They won't say it. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And so you're in a conversation with people and go, well, why are they having such a hard time admitting that Jesus came? It isn't just because they don't agree with it. They can't say it. And where does that come from? It's the spirit of Antichrist. He's already in the world. He's still in the world. And they will not be able to say those words. So let's go back to the Hallelujah chorus a minute. In part two is literally the Hallelujah. And Patrick shares with us all the time here. The highest praise so when you hit a song and it's hallelujah hallelujah there is nothing that you can praise with higher than the word hallelujah and in part two this hallelujah chorus comes out of these verses and i'd like you to look them up with me revelation chapter 11 turn there revelation eleven fifteen. 15 and one of the things i love about Handel's messiah is that it's taken from scripture uh, a ton of it is taken straight out of scripture Revelation eleven fifteen. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever, and ever and ever and ever and ever. Revelation nineteen six. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, "Hallelujah." For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. And if you go hear the Hallelujah chorus, all these phrases are repeated in there. And then Revelation 19, 16. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And if you've sung the song or heard it sung, King of Kings forever and ever and Lord of Lords forever and ever. And he shall reign forever and ever before richard comes
0: back to wrap things up for us today i'd like to share a couple important things with you let me encourage you to take a minute and check out our website richardellistalks.com you'll find today's talk right there in the talks page along with all of richard's messages you can even forward them to a friend so they can hear them too you'll also find the prayer wall to add your prayer requests a link to connect with us, the contribute page for you to be able to give to this ministry, a radio station finder, all our social media links, and much more. So check it out, richardellistalks.com.
1: And Richard's back now to wrap up today's talk. Then in part three, Handel goes back to Revelation 5. And uh, I highly recommend this, this season, go online somewhere, find a recording, and just sit, maybe even get the lyrics that go with it, and listen to and absorb the music of this tremendous piece. But in scene four of part three of the Messiah, the first song is, Worthy is the Lamb. And this comes out of Revelation 5, 9 and following. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and behold the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, and I recommend you do some practicing either here or in a closet somewhere because you're going to be doing this. "'Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power "'and riches and wisdom and strength "'and honor and glory and blessing. "'And every creature which is in heaven "'and on the earth and under the earth "'and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, "'I heard saying, "'Blessing and honor and glory and power "'be to him who sits on the throne "'and to the Lamb forever and ever.' "'Then the four living creatures said, "'Amen,' And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him, who lives forever and ever. The Messiah in a minor. There's no way around it. And because he came as was prophesied, conceived in a virgin, born of a virgin, lives a sinless life, tempted in all manner of sin as we are, yet without sin, sympathizes with us, born under the law, so that he can redeem us out from under the law to our God, Buried, raised from the dead, bloodshed, and now we can reign with him forever and ever. Make sure you can say that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh because he has and he'd like to move in you if he hasn't already. Thanks for tuning in today
0: to Richard Ellis Talks. With the busy schedule everyone has these days, it means the world to us that you would take this time to listen. Let us know how it has touched your heart by calling us at 855-6-RICHARD. You can also connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. One last thing, Richard Ellis Talks is a daily program, but also has daily costs. And being a listener-supported program means we rely on the financial partnership of our listeners, which means you. Maybe you've given to this ministry before or have waited for the right time. Well, we believe that these talks with Richard are making a difference in your life. So this is how you can make a difference to ours. You can contribute by giving us a call at 855-6-RICHARD or at our website, richardellistalks.com. Thank you for your very generous gifts. It truly means so much to us. God bless and thanks for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.